This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer, Ryan White is the live stream producer and we are live streaming on my youtube channel strange planet strange planet and in the coming days this program will also be available on my rumble channel that's richard serrett's strange planet medical sociologist robert e bartholomew phd is here for the full two hours to talk about such topics as the sonic wave attacks in cuba a.k.a. Havana, although they're now taking part in other parts of the world, most recently in Vietnam, apparently. Word comes that the latest report of a Havana syndrome incident has uh, disrupted Vice President Kamala Harris's state visit to Vietnam. We'll also talk with Robert about conspiracy theories, bizarre behaviors, mass hysteria, and ghosts and hauntings. Incidentally, Robert was the first scientist to publish an analysis of the attacks of U.S. and or on U.S. and Canadian embassy personnel in Cuba starting in 2016. And he's concluded, wait for it, this is not going to be popular with my audience, I'll tell you right now. But uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Robert, Robert Bartholomew concludes the Havana Syndrome is the result of a mass psychogenic illness or a kind of mass hysteria. Uh, We'll also discuss with Robert another strange case. He says also the result of mass psychogenic illness or mass hysteria. It involved 24 students at two high schools in northeastern Massachusetts, where back in 2012, they began to exhibit mysterious hiccuping sounds over a several month period. And the state health department there investigated, and Robert believes they covered up their conclusions that it was indeed a psychogenic illness. He'll uh, detail the bizarre case history of a male teenager who thought he was a cat and acted out a series of feline behaviors. Uh, 
The case was documented in Harvard Medical School's Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. Uh, And time permitting, Robert will also touch on his uh, interest in ghosts, commenting uh, perhaps that uh, there may be some genuine phenomenon taking place here. But it remains uncertain as to whether people are actually seeing the spirits of the deceased. Dr. Robert Bartholomew is a sociologist who studies topics on the margins of science, such as UFOs, Bigfoot, lake monsters. He's also published widely on mass hysteria and social panics, including a recent groundbreaking study in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine on how social media is spreading mass psychogenic illness. He teaches history at Botany College in Auckland, New Zealand, and he's the author of a number of books, including Exotic Deviants, Hoax, Myths, and Manias, Little Green Men, Meowing Nuns, and Headhunting Panics, a study of mass psychogenic illnesses and social delusions, UFOs and Alien Contact, Two Centuries of Mystery, Mass Hysteria in Schools, The Untold Story of Champ, a social history of America's Loch Ness Monster, American Hauntings, the true stories behind Hollywood's scariest movies. The Martians Have Landed, a history of media-driven panics and hoaxes, and the latest, Havana Syndrome. Robert Bartholomew, welcome to the program. How are you? Um, Honestly, um, I've been quite sick for the last week, but I'm uh, just starting to uh, take a turn for the better. I took a COVID test and it came back negative, so that's good. And if I do cough occasionally, um, just excuse me, but uh, I think I'll be fine. All right. So you're all the way over there in New Zealand. How are things there vis-a-vis um, uh, lockdowns and so forth? Well, we're all locked down now. And I think, uh, you know, New Zealand's done a great job of keeping COVID out. But you just needed one case and they got one case and now they got 500 and some odd cases. And I just don't think they're going to keep it out now. I think they're going to have to vaccinate 70 80 percent and then open everything up otherwise you you can't stay in lockdown forever there was a an interesting thing in the news today where the health department believes a woman they didn't give her age died from the vaccine um from myocarditis which is an inflammation of the heart right muscle and um which is known to be a side effect and uh, they also said that she had other uh conditions as well and um, I just think statistically, I'm, you know, I've had one shot already. I'm going to get the other shot and uh, the odds are in my favor. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, well, thank God it's, it's not uh, Corona and uh, the coronavirus and that you're, uh, you're on the mend. We appreciate you joining us tonight. So, as I mentioned, this analysis that you have done of what is now being called Havana syndrome, not necessarily going to be popular with some of my audience. And I'll tell you why, because uh, one of the things we talk about on this program um, and things like mind control, MK ultra, I've had a number of people on this program that allege that they are targeted individuals, TIs, uh, that they are being targeted for some sort of electronic harassment or torture. Uh, I even participated in a TV pilot for a series called the United States of Paranoia about this very subject. And so a lot of people, when they started hearing back in 2016, the autumn, uh, in the autumn of 2016, about uh, members of the U.S. mission in Cuba, uh, and then later, I guess about a year later in 2017, some Canadian 
uh, members in the embassy there developing symptoms of dizziness and ear pain and tinnitus and uh, maybe some cognitive um, effects, the decline in the cognitive abilities and so forth. Uh, a lot of people, maybe part of myself too, thinking, wow, are the, are the communists in Cuba using some sort of microwave weapon? Are they targeting these people uh, for, for whatever purpose? Now, along comes your analysis, and uh, well, I'll let you take it from there. What, first of all, when you first heard about this, what went through your mind when you started hearing about these uh, symptoms back in 2016 at the, uh, among the, uh, the diplomats in Cuba? What, what was going through your mind? It's real. I had no reason to doubt that it wasn't happening. I just assumed it was happening like, like most other people. And then I started to do research on the various topics that are involved there. And a professor at UCLA Medical Center got in touch with me and he said, oh, he was involved in reviewing the first Journal of the American Medical Association study in 2018 that looked at the patients and um, he was stunned because he rejected the article and they overrid his rejection and they didn't even change some of the comments. Uh, he just couldn't believe it. And the reason they had contacted him is because he had created uh, several of the tests that were being used in the study. I mean, he's a, he's a giant figure in the field, Professor Robert Ballo. And um, so we started digging more and more into this and, um, you know, it, things were, you know, we're creating the case and it's looking to us like it's most likely mass psychogenic illness. And then a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist in Cuba, uh, Tim Golden, and um, he, uh, Sebastian Rotella as well, they did a number of interviews, several dozen interviews there. They got a hold of documents and they were able to track down patient zero and show how this first happened and spread. And when we saw that, it's like, that's the missing piece right there. You just push that right in there and it all makes sense. And it really does all make sense. It just, it's a classic setup. So just back up before you arrived at this conclusion and when you thought this is real this is happening were you thinking along the same lines that this might be these might be targeted individuals the cubans are using some sort of because the technology exists right microwave weapons uh voice to skull technology i mean that wasn't involved in this particular case but that's another i mean it is possible to to target someone remotely and cause them you know, great discomfort, dis disrupt their sleep. All of these things are possible. Were you thinking along those lines that these are targeted individuals, that there may be some sort of technology involved here? Well, there might be some type of technology because I was ignorant on the literature on uh, pulse microwave radiation right. and uh, sonic weapons. But, um, you know, in, in cases like this, when there's so much ambiguity, what you have to do like a detective, you stick to what you know for sure. You follow the facts. And when you follow the facts, for example, there have been at least 15 separate incidents where diplomats in Cuba were reporting 
being attacked and hearing strange sounds. And they had been asked to record those sounds. The FBI, the State Department, and the University of California has done an analysis of some of these recordings. The, the, of those 15 recordings, they have turned out to be the mating call of the Indy short-tailed cricket, which was one of the loudest crickets in the world, the Jamaican field cricket, and the Caribbean cicada. Now, initially, when the University of California study on that came out and said it's the Indy short-tailed cricket, people were like, whoa, there were no Indy short-tailed crickets in the Havana area. Well, at about the same time, a graduate student at one of the universities there uh, found some and turns out they're much more widely spread there because they don't, you know, they got a lot of things going on in Cuba and they just don't go around, you know, uh, analyzing cricket sounds all the time. Right. But they have priority crickets <laughs> and they're there. So, and th this was the sound that, that uh, um, embassy staff and both Canadians and Americans reported hearing that kind of precipitated these symptoms of dizziness. So first they heard what you're saying are crickets and, and uh, then the dizziness and the nausea, the cognitive disruption, all of these effects happened after they heard what in fact were crickets you're saying. Well, not exactly. Um, it would depend on the situation. Sometimes they would be sitting there, they'd be fine. And then they feel unwell. And because they were told to be on the lookout for unusual sounds, if you have an unusual health incident, now they're listening for unusual sounds. I guarantee most of your listeners, or at least many, if you are feeling unwell right now and think you're being targeted, you'll probably hear an unusual sound, right? Um, it's just the way the human condition works. Um, so the other interesting thing is when they had the Senate committee hearing with Marco Rubio in uh, 2018 on this, Dr. Charles Rosenfarb for the State Department was asked about the sounds and people feeling sick. And he made a comment, which I just thought to myself, I can't believe he just said that. And he goes, well, um, when did the people start hearing the sound and then having the symptoms? He said, well, up to an hour, up to an hour. So you have an unusual health incident and up to an hour, you, you hear an unusual sound. Well, I, I will hear an unusual sound in the next hour if I'm really listening for it. Um, it's just so ambiguous and so vague. I mean, if you look at the symptoms, headache, dizziness, fatigue, uh, memory problems, mental fatigue, mental fog, disorientation, confusion, uh, difficulty focusing, trouble sleeping, ear pain. Uh, there's an old saying, speak of the devil and he's bound to appear. This is a classic setup for mass psychogenic illness. And, but what has fooled everyone, which has gotten people off the track, is they hear these reports of brain damage, white matter tract changes, hearing loss, concussion-like symptoms. Right, right. They Lesions. hear that and they think, Lesions. well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's certainly not mass psychogenic illness or mass right. hysteria. But that is absolutely not what happened. Aha, uh -huh. because we're, we're hearing also about lesions um, in the inner ear and these sorts of things. So you're saying that didn't happen. All right. So walk us through it. Well, 
the the studies that have been done are just very very uh, ambiguous, and when when you start looking at um, for example, the white matter track changes in December of 2017. The JAMA researchers, Journal of American Medical Association, one of the top medical jurors in the world, um, were doing their study on a number of Havana syndrome patients. And in the course of doing that study, before the study was published, they leaked information to the Associated Press that the doctors examining the, the cohort of embassy patients had found these significant white matter tract changes in their brains. And then news outlets around the country had all these headlines about mysterious brain anomalies found in, in Cuban embassy victims. There's all kinds of speculation. And that went on for about a year until February of 2018, when the Journal of the American Medical Association actually, um, December 2017, so let's see, December 2018. Um, yeah, that's right. And so there's all this speculation that went on and on and on. And then finally, the Journal of the American Medical Association published their study and they reported that they found three cases out of 21 patients who had white matter tract changes. Of those three patients, Two were mild cases and one was moderate. If you walk on to the streets of Toronto or Ottawa or Montreal today and you randomly pick out 21 people, you will have a very similar finding because white matter tract changes, they're very ambiguous. They're very common in everything from migraine to depression to normal aging. Uh, but the problem is you had these speculative media stories leading up to the publication of the study that created this widespread public perception that patients had abnormal white matter tract changes when the number of patients with white matter tract changes in that cohort was stone cold normal, right? And, and then they you see these claims of brain damage. Right. That's in reference to the 2019 JAMA study. And look, JAMA is a fantastic journal. It's one of the top medical journals in the world. But these people are not infallible. Just like the U.S. State Department and the U.S. intelligence community is very intelligent, works very hard, has a lot of experts, and they sure got Afghanistan wrong. Um, so you no get this kidding. 2019 study in JAMA, which says there are all these brain anomalies they found in the embassy diplomats. Now, this you got to look at the context here. The 2018 study got lambasted. They were ripped to shreds by a number of major academics. So they came out in 2019 with a study saying there's all these brain anomalies. And I look at that, and initially it looks like, oh, yeah, there's all these brain anomalies. But look at it closer, and it fades away. Because the MRIs that they used in that study are so advanced, they almost never use them in medicine per se, only in abstract medical research, because about they have to be uh, analyzed through complex computer models, which are up to 70% inaccurate. It's very experimental. And... So when you look at this, the bottom line is 
In the study, in the discussion section, they said something to the effect of, and I'm going to paraphrase it, the brain anomalies were not so significant that they could not have been potentially caused by individual variation. Well, then they're not that significant. And, you know, there, there are anomalies, but there, it's common to have brain anomalies um, in just about you know, if, if you look in science, you can find anomalies in just about anything, right? And any group, you pick out any group of 20, 30 people, you'll find some kind of anomaly. But how significant were these anomalies? Not very significant. And those same anomalies can be caused by exposure to long-term stress. So we believe that the neurologists have mistranslated the results in mistaken stress-induced temporary brain anomalies with actual brain anomalies, with actual brain damage. There's a difference between brain damage and brain anomalies. Understood. We're just coming up on a break here, uh, Robert. My guest, Robert Bartholomew, medical sociologist and uh, author of the latest is Havana Syndrome. Uh, basically, uh, he says this is uh, not a case of mind control or targeted individuals or some, you know, uh, uh, technology being directed at U.S. and Canadian embassy staff in Havana or other places around the world. This is a textbook case of mass hysteria. Um, also significant, you you say, and we'll get into this uh, after the break here, uh, that none of these incidents occurred in the actual embassies. They took place in hotel rooms or in individuals' uh, homes. So we'll uh, we'll address that as well when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with medical sociologist, author Robert E. Bartholomew, Ph.D., here for the full two hours, the author of Havana Syndrome, Mass Hysteria in Schools, Hoaxes, Myths, and Manias, uh, little Green Men, Meowing Nuns, and Headhunting Panics. I love that one. A study of mass psychogenic illnesses and social delusion. Um, so back to the Havana Syndrome. You said it's also significant that in these cases among U.S. and Canadian staff to the, at these embassies, none of them took place in an embassy. It, it, they were all individual hotel rooms or houses. Why is that significant? Well, if it was in one particular building, you might, um, I mean, you could, you could really do a, a deep dive around that. But these are all over the place. And now you've got cases that are being reported uh, all over the world. Uh, uh, Australia, Uzbekistan, uh, Colombia and South America, Poland, Taiwan, uh, Vietnam recently with Kamala Harris, um, Russia. It seems like Germany, well, uh, it just seems like it's everywhere now. And to understand that, what's really going on there, like why is it spreading? Well, it's no surprise to me that it's spreading. I predicted uh, years ago that this was going to spread right after the State Department warned all of their diplomats and intelligence officers around the world 
to be on the lookout for unusual health incidents accompanied by strange sounds. It's the perfect global experiment for mass psychogenic illness. Now, anyone at any of our embassies, anywhere in the world, diplomats and intelligence officers who has had a health incident, now they're suddenly hyper aware of any sounds in their vicinity. And that's seen as a possible evidence for an energy weapon attack. It's almost comical, yet the American government has spent millions of dollars on this investigating. Um, and look, there's a reason why they haven't found anything conclusive. The reason? There is nothing conclusive. Well, there's been a lot of poor journalism, poor science, and if you look recently, the National Academy of Sciences, the premier scientific organization in the U.S., was asked to look at this. And I thought, well, good. They're finally going to look at our evidence, and because we had published the only book on the subject, and I've done a number of studies on it, and the study finally came out, and when it came out, they said, essentially, uh, you'll see reporting saying they said it was most likely pulse, microwave radiation. That's not exactly what they said. They said they weren't sure of what was going on, but a plausible explanation uh, that's not proven is some kind of microwave radiation. Uh, and the reason it's not proven because you, they can't understand how it would really have worked. The second main hypothesis they looked at was mass psychogenic illness. And they said that that was a legitimate hypothesis, but they could not assess it. And the reason they couldn't assess it was because there was no epidemiological evidence about the spread. And when I saw that report, the report was about 76 pages long. It mentioned my research as an expert on mass psychogenic illness, I think 11 times. They were very familiar with my studies, except one study, which was our book that had come out eight months earlier. They ignored the existence of our book. And I just find that at the very least scientific incompetence, one wonders uh, what was going on there because if they would have looked at our book, they would have found very clearly the early epidemiological spread, which is how patient zero and how it spread. It all started in a small unit of CIA officers in Havana in late 2016. And for weeks, they had been hearing mysterious sounds. Then one day, one of them wasn't feeling well and had a headache and some ear pain. And they went into the embassy clinic and they mentioned, they made a comment like, oh, it felt like somebody was pointing some kind of beam at my head. And then that got reported to the head of the embassy. And the next thing you know, it spread like wildfire through the American embassy and it was also spread to the Canadian embassy as well. Um, they worked very closely together and they shared that information. It's very clear in uh, documents that have been released. And, um, you know, so the interesting thing here to me is why in the world would anyone who hears a high pitched tinnitus like sound and has some ear pain believe 
that they're being targeted with some type of, at the time, sonic uh, sound weapon. This just seems very odd. But you have to go back and you have to look at the context. Um, the idea that they were harassed made sense to them because there's this long history of Cuban agents harassing diplomats going back decades. All of the diplomats who were sent to the new embassy in Havana in 2015 had been told, be aware that um, once they got there, this happened after 2016, but when they got in there and once they were there and this first started, they were all uh, counseled about it. And during the Cold War, Cuban agents were notorious for harassing American diplomats. They would uh, sneak into houses when they slept, open up all the windows so their house would be filled with mosquitoes. Um, they would rearrange furniture, kind of like their calling card when you woke up just to let them know that you know, you're being watched. Um, there were cases where they'd have cigarette butts on the kitchen table and they didn't smoke. Or there'd be dog poo or cat poo on the kitchen floor and they don't have a pet. That's interesting. That that's what just, that's excuse me, Robert. That's what targeted individuals refer to as stalking, organized stalking. Yeah, well, that was definitely going on in Cuba um, prior to the embassy being open. It's well known. And uh, but it was relatively low level. I mean, you, you would park your car somewhere and then somebody would come in because they're following you. They'd park within like an inch of you, so you can't back out. Now you're stuck there the whole day and you have to wait for them to leave. Um, they would do this as a form of harassment. And there are reports uh, in Washington of similar things being done with uh, Cuban uh, staff as well. So it's kind of a tit for tat thing that right. was going on. So let, let's talk about the mechanics of mass hysteria. Why are we so susceptible? I think you, you wrote that, that it is, it's almost like the opposite of the placebo effect. Yeah, that's right. Um, think of mass psychogenic illness as the uh, placebo effect in reverse. Now, there's the placebo effect where if, if I give you a sugar pill and tell you you're going to feel better, often you will. It's the power of belief. It's the power of positive thinking. Now, it's not going to cure cancer, but it can have a very strong effect uh, on, on the body. Um, but you also get the negative effect there, which is known in uh, psychology as the nocebo effect. Um, so for instance, if I were to give you, um, I don't know, a piece of candy, and then your producer quickly emailed you and said, oh my God, that candy he just gave you, I just saw online, it, it may have been contaminated with poison. There's a, a reasonable chance that within a few minutes, you might start getting a headache, stomach pain, uh, nausea, you might even vomit, but there's nothing physically wrong with you. Think of it as a software problem, an overstimulation of your nervous system. And it typically reflects the event scenario. So. If you think you've eaten tainted food, you're more likely to have stomach upset and nausea. If you think you're smelling something that's uh, toxic, you're more likely to have tearing and things like this. Um, it's very common. I mean, there was a case in New Zealand uh, a few years ago at this popular shopping center where 
somebody opened up the bathroom door and they found this guy laying on the floor, unresponsive. They called the medics, they rushed there, they opened the door and they were hit by these fumes. And they became unwell as well. And they dragged everybody out of the bathroom and got them to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, the guy that they initially found unconscious came to. And he said, oh, I'm really sorry. I OD'd on morphine. And um, so what, what was the smell these people were smelling? Well, it's the bathroom smell. You know, you go into a bathroom and soon after they've cleaned it and you can smell chemicals. But if you, you open up the bathroom door and you see a guy laying there and you smell this heavy smell, they added one and one together and assumed that that was why he'd passed out. And then it started affecting them. Remarkable. You, you mentioned an epidemiological study. I always I thought that that such a study would be reserved for an organic disease. Not this is uh, I mean is is mass hysteria does it have virus like symptom not virus like symptoms virus like characteristics in that it is it is a contagion that can spread. Well with mass psychogenic illness mass hysteria the contagion that spreads is the belief and it needs to be plausible. And the example I always like to give is the War of the Worlds scare in October 30th of 1938. People always like to talk about how over a million Americans were frightened. Uh, not that many panicked, but a number of them were frightened. Um, they never mentioned Canada, but there are some stations in Canada that reported uh, people frightening as well. Um, but anyway, um, during that broadcast, they reported that these Martians on these giant 25 to 30 foot metallic tripods were firing heat rays and poison gas in the vicinity of northern New York and uh, I'm sorry, southern New York and northern New Jersey. Well, there are a number of cases that have been documented where people called the police and they said they could feel the heat rays that were being described on the radio, that they could smell the poison gas and they're actually choking and shoving rags under their doors and in keyholes. Um, it's very powerful. Human uh, perception as well. I mean, the epicenter of the War of the World scare on October 30th, 1938, was the tiny community of Grover's Mill in northern New Jersey. Right. Well, what's interesting there is it was very foggy that night. Sorry, Robert, and so, uh, pardon the interruption. I've got to take a time out here. We'll pick up on uh, that story, War of the Worlds, when we come back. Dr. Robert Bartholomew, medical sociologist, the author of Havana Syndrome, Mass Hysteria in Schools, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and uh, many, many other uh, books. Back with more. Don't go away. When you look at the sky... Ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Robert Bartholomew. Medical sociologist, my guest, and we're talking about mass hysteria in the case of Havana syndrome, but also uh, other instances. And we were talking about uh, Mercury Theater's 1938 radio drama based on H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. 
And um, the epicenter of this, of course, Grover's Mills. Is it Grover's Mills? Grover's Mills, New Jersey, Robert? Uh, Grover's Mill. Grover's it's an unusual Mill. name. Right. All right. Apparently, so, they what, had a mill there, and there's a guy named Grover's. Um, okay. But anyway. Uh, so, yeah. And so anyway, in, in the evening, it was very foggy where they said the Martians had landed, and a group of local residents came out with shotguns. And there was a report in one of the area papers that they fired on what they thought was uh, like one of the Martians, like 25 feet up in the air, as described on the radio. And in the morning, they reportedly found some bullet holes in the local water tower. Wow. <laughs> I can't um, confirm that, but right. that was the report. So when we're talking about mass hysteria, as you described it, it almost sounds like, I mean, if someone wanted to deliberately create mass hysteria, there's a term we use in this business called gaslighting. When you manipulate someone through psychological means, you get them to question their own sanity, right? So when someone's ga gaslighting you, you start to second guess yourself, your memories, your perceptions. Uh, is there a relationship? Am I, am, am I getting this correctly? I mean, gaslighting is, is a similar way. I mean, you could use a gaslighting technique to cause mass hysteria, right? Absolutely. It's all about plausibility. And it helps to have a pre-existing belief before that happens. And it just makes it uh, so much uh, easier. And look, many people don't realize that uh, they say, well, this is a unique novel syndrome. It's never happened in the history of the world. One of the JAMA articles that essentially said that it was a novel syndrome. Are we to believe that there's a novel syndrome that's never been recorded? Um, or that this is a well-known phenomenon that has been going on for millennia. And I'll, I'll give you a good example. I mean, people say, well, is there ever been a case of mass hysteria involving uh, sound? Sure. If you go back to uh, the 1760s, Benjamin Franklin, the American inventor, uh, came out with this new musical instrument. Now, around that time, people used to go out and give concerts with glasses of water filled with different heights and they would wet their fingers and they would make it have a high pitched sound. Um, that was very popular back then in the middle part of the 1700s. Well, Franklin saw that and he invented this device that had this turning wheel and it had these glass um, discs and they were on this shaft driven by a flywheel. And so what you do, you wet your fingers, and as the glass discs spin around, it makes this high-pitched, almost like a, a 1950s grade B movie uh, with a flying saucer type sound, and uh, very eerie. Many people believe when that device was first invented, and he started making more of them, and it started to people started to do tours of them. Hundreds of people uh, started to reproduce the instrument and make it. Well, word spread very quickly that if you went to a concert, it could cure your ills. And people in the audience were reporting being cured of various uh, ailments. Then, in around, well, late, 18, uh, late 1780s, um, you started 
people, um, two prominent players of this instrument became unwell. And it was reported in the news. Then people started thinking, ooh, maybe this instrument is making people unwell. All of a sudden, it went from a placebo, listening to it, to a nocebo, because the rumor started and spread across America and Europe that now, instead of making you feel better, it was making you sick. And people were going to concerts, women were fainting. Um, people were blaming it on all sorts of ailments. And there's another interesting example, and that's telephone sickness. During the early decades of the telephone in the 1800s, many operators reported symptoms very similar to Havana syndrome. And it was believed to have been caused by exposure to these crackling noises that they would hear on the phone line. This was very common. It went on for decades. And they would report that it was debilitating. They couldn't go on. And it, and it was believed it was because it was some kind of electric sound that was created over a wire. You know, and the same thing happened um, with ice cubes when refrigerators first came out and freezers. Uh, there were reports of people getting ill because there was a common belief at the time that it was the ice was artificially made. So somehow it's uh, tainted. And so people were reporting getting ill from the ice cubes. And there was no evidence ever found that they were getting ill from the from the ice cubes. And you know, you get case after case similar to this. And of course you got the famous hum, right? The Windsor, Ontario hum. Yes, yes. Listen, we're, uh, Robert, I got to take another time out here. We'll uh, we'll talk about the hum and uh, the mysterious hiccuping uh, cases back in 2012 in northeastern northeastern Massachusetts. Uh, Robert E. Bartholomew, Ph.D., stays with us as we talk about uh, mass hysteria, bizarre behavior, and much more. The conspiracy show continues right after these. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, if you've gathered in the YouTube live chat, the YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and uh, welcome all, incidentally, if you've gathered there and you have a question for Robert E. Bartholomew, uh, let us know, and my live stream producer, Ryan, will uh, curate those, I suppose, and uh, put those in the message here for me so I can read those. I will also take questions, of course. Uh, the old-fashioned way, 416 from the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 1-866-740-4740. Robert, let's talk about another case of which you've uh, labeled mass hysteria. Uh, this involved 24 students in high schools in northeastern Massachusetts back in 2012. Uh, they started hiccuping. That's right. And the more I looked into that case, 
it became clear they weren't hiccuping. They were suffering from vocal tics, but it was reported in the media and by the health department that they were like uh, hiccuping, but it's not. It's a vocal tic. Uh, young people can get vocal tics, but the type of vocal tic they had um, is very, very rare among girls. It's much more common among young boys, and it's extremely rare among teenage girls to the point where you had what something like 17 teenage girls all having these hiccup-like symptoms. So, for example, they would be sitting there and somebody would say, well, I think that <coughs> they couldn't continue and complete a sentence. They just, and it was happening with, with some students, they just couldn't complete even a single sentence. And it was not unlike what happened at Leroy High School in around 2011, 2012 in uh, Western New York. And so anyway, what I did was I looked at this and local paper in Salem asked me, they said, well, what do you think this case is? And they, I was looking at all the evidence and I said, I really think that uh, the most likely explanation for this is mass psychogenic illness. And I said, ask the health department what they think of that. And they, they came back and they said, it's definitely not mass psychogenic illness. Okay, fine. I filed for about 700 US dollars worth of Freedom of Information Act documents. And within three hours of receiving them, it was very clear that the Massachusetts Department of Public Health had misled the public. And they had a, uh, a consultant from Harvard University who they asked what he thought and to write up a report. He wrote up a report. In that report, which was never released to the public, he said, I can eliminate every known cause but one, mass psychogenic illness. They, they lied about it. And uh, every opportunity I get, I like to uh, make them aware of that. And uh, I just think it's not necessary. Now, why would they lie about it? Because health departments have a history of not coming out with diagnoses around mass psychogenic illness, even though they, they believe it is, like the Leroy case in 2011, the New York State Health Department concluded it was mass psychogenic illness, but they kept that from the public for a while until one of the neurologists leaked it and they said, yeah, yeah, we, we concluded it was mass psychogenic illness. Um, because of the stigma that's attached to the diagnosis and there's a lot of public uh, bruja about it, right? Um, and there's controversy about it, and they don't want the backlash that you often receive from those uh, diagnoses. But um, I'm unconfident it was mass psychogenic illness. All right. Um, I'm going to go to the YouTube live chat here. Some questions. Sigma6 asks, uh, what does Dr. Bart think about how much hysteria of the current pandemic is being created in people's minds? Um, well, look, here's the thing. People ask me about mass hysteria, and there's two categories. There's mass hysteria, mass psychogenic illness, and then there's social panics. And I think you have to separate the two. A social panic is like what happened during World War I in the Ottawa, Toronto area, where there was a belief that um, German 
Americans sympathetic to the Kaiser were flying reconnaissance missions over Canada and the capital in Ottawa as a prelude to dropping bombs or an invasion. Why would they do that? Because America hadn't joined the war, but Canada already had. That was a huge thing. I document that in a couple of my books, including the one on uh, little green men meowing nuds and headhunting panics. In great detail, it's a really good example. And people were seeing mysterious lights in the sky and thinking there were airplanes. And they had um, sentries posted all over Ottawa on top of the buildings um, to stop any uh, attacks potentially and um, to fire on planes if they got low. Um, so that would be a social panic, but it wouldn't be a mass psychogenic illness. Mass psychogenic illness is the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms for which there's no plausible organic etiology. What does that mean? It means there's no underlying physiological cause in your body for the symptoms. And if you go talk to any neurologist, they will tell you that about one in every three patients who they see presents with a functional neurological disorder. There's no physiological reason for the illness. It's driven by things like anxiety. Would that include fibromyalgia? Um, that's a controversial diagnosis. Um, I'm skeptical of fibromyalgia. Um, I'm skeptical of Gulf War syndrome because you have to look at it as an aggregate. Yeah, there might be people that have suffered from depleted uranium. There might be people from World War, um, well, the Vietnam War, who suffered from some things from Agent Orange. But when you look at the symptoms, very interesting observation. The symptoms of Havana syndrome are very similar to combat stress syndrome. Now, combat stress syndrome is, um, well, first really reported um, in World War I as shell shock, right? And it was widely believed that artillery shells, which had recently been developed, the shock waves from them were causing brain damage in patients. And then they realized after a while that many of the patients had been nowhere near an exploding artillery shell. So then they started to come up with really exotic explanations like, well, maybe it's caused by bullets whizzing near their brains, causing tiny micro tears and hemorrhaging. And eventually doctors reached a consensus in World War I that shell shock was caused by the trauma of war. And if you go back and look at every major war since the advent of modern medicine from the American Civil War, you'll have similar clusters of returning veterans with symptoms very similar to Havana syndrome. During the American Civil War, it was DaCosta syndrome. During World War I, it was combat stress syndrome. During World War II, um, it was reported there. During the um, Vietnam War, it was post-traumatic stress disorder. During the Gulf War, it was Gulf War syndrome. And the symptoms of Gulf War syndrome are very similar to Havana syndrome. But many of the victims, even though report, they report concussions without a concussion, were nowhere near an exploding artillery shell. I believe we're looking at a similar phenomena, just a different cultural backdrop.
Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. We just have a couple of minutes here before we break at the top of the hour, but I just want to get back to Sigma Six's original question about mass hysteria and the current pandemic. So let's uh, let's park the term mass hysteria and call it social panic. Do you think that although COVID is real and people have died and people are suffering and people get sick, uh, that the media has created, considering the survival rates, so for example, uh, young children, you know, wearing masks, age of five, uh, very low viral loads. If they get sick, it's like a common cold. More children die from influenza in a moderate influenza year than they do from, from COVID and so forth. That the media has created a social panic around COVID. That's right. Absolutely. And the problem is the media is often not vetted. Some of these social media outlets. I mean, According to my brother, you have an excellent program. You know, the Coast program does a pretty good job of of presenting alternative views. The mainstream media does a pretty good job of promoting alternative views. Uh, Although there's one media outlet that I I would not be too happy with, I'm going to mention. But it's all about giving both sides and giving an accurate uh, description I mean, I could get the second jab. I'm due to get it on Thursday and get myocarditis and die. I'm hoping I don't. Um, But the statistical odds of that are very low. And by the way, the studies are showing that if you get COVID, you're 10 more times likely to uh, either die or get the the myocarditis, the inflammation of the, the heart muscle. So I just think it's far better to take your chances with the vaccine than with COVID. Right, right. Uh, let's take another time out. We'll come back. Dr. Uh, Bartholomew stays with us for the full two hours as we discuss mass hysteria. We'll get into some bizarre behaviors as well coming up in the second half. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Dr. Robert Bartholomew, sociologist, uh, medical sociologist, studies topics on the margins of science, such as UFOs, Bigfoot, lake monsters. He's also published widely on mass hysteria and social panics, including a recent groundbreaking study in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine on how social media is spreading mass psychogenic illness. He teaches history at Botany College in Auckland, New Zealand. His uh, latest book is Havana Syndrome. Um, I want to go right back to the uh, the live chat here. We have some more questions. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, this one had to do with, again, the Havana syndrome. We touched on this earlier, but uh, MG wants to go back to this idea of microwave technology. As he, he says, it's well-documented, actually patented. What evidence does Dr. Bartholomew have to dismiss the claims of Havana syndrome other than anecdotal stories? Well, you don't, well, you're not, you're not well, offering anecdotal stories. You're anyway, go ahead. Well, what evidence is there? I mean, uh, if, if someone 
is claiming that Santa Claus was on their roof. You need to give me the evidence and uh, and you evaluate that evidence. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, sonic weapons and microwaves with sonic weapons, um, 99, if, if you're targeting somebody and I've been to Havana, I've seen the buildings where these people were supposedly targeted in. I mean, it's unbelievable to think that somebody could be targeted inside, deep inside such massive buildings. For starters, with a sonic device, 99% of the sound waves would bounce off the outer wall. Um, and when you look at a microwave device, it would have to be massive. It wouldn't work, and it would literally, according to the experts, with the fray effect, heat your brain. And others around the area would certainly know uh, it was there. And that's not what you're seeing here. Uh, Kenneth Foster at the University of Pennsylvania, he's the scientist that uh, was one of the first two scientists in the 70s to first identify this effect with microwave radiation known as the, the Frey effect. And he looked at these cases and he said, it's definitely not the Frey effect. It's impossible. Can't be. And so it's it's easy to speculate, but what you have to go then by is evidence. Okay, well, does anybody have recordings of these sounds? Yes, there are about 15 recordings that we are aware of. By the way, the FBI report that had it leaked that 12 of those recordings were insect sounds in their analysis, that's never been revealed to the public. And I suspect that that's because you've got people in the Trump administration and the Biden administration who are lifelong bureaucrats who are embarrassed by this, embarrassed by the fact that crickets and cicadas were mistaken for a, a sonic or microwave weapon, and they've spent millions of dollars on this, and now they just want to end it. And not long ago, they, yep, they, they had the case in Vienna. Well, that case was leaked to the media. The U.S. government didn't announce it. And that sent a message to me saying that, ooh, they didn't announce that. Maybe they suspect that this is psychogenic. I think you're going to see that it, they'll come out in the relatively near future and conclude that uh, the mass psychogenic illness explanation is not only back on the table, it's the most plausible. Right. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. You don't need me to defend you, but I, I don't think you're <laughs> suggesting that targeted individuals uh, couldn't exist, that there, there, you know, that there are there could be individuals who are, in fact, being remotely harassed electronically. Uh, we know the technology exists. We know voice to skull technology exists. We know certain microwave weapons have been patented and so forth. You're not necessarily disputing that. You're saying in this instance, it just doesn't fit. Right. Yeah, look, it definitely doesn't fit in this instance. Um, for targeted individuals, I have to be honest with you. I think if, if I were a targeted individual, I think you have to be honest with yourself and get a couple of different health assessments just to be sure. And then secondly, I mean, there are a number of people in the paranormal and throughout history that have had visions that appear to be normal, healthy people that they hear voices. It doesn't mean you're a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, it could mean you just you just process things differently. Um, 
However, I do think targeted individuals owe it to themselves to have themselves checked by a couple of different uh, independent um, psychiatrists to assess their condition because the consequences of that can be catastrophic if you get it wrong. But I'm not, I, I have no doubt that some targeted individuals um, may have other conditions that we don't fully understand that uh, could lead them to believe that they're being targeted, um, such as the fantasy prone personality. But I, I'm, you know, I think it's important to be honest. Um, and I'm, I just feel a lot better if they got their health checked out. All right, here is a question from uh, Stephen Krafsky. He asks, do you think that Trump derangement syndrome is mass psychogenic illness? Um, no. Um, first of all, I'm not quite sure what Trump derangement syndrome is. I suppose it's the notion that you are ignoring certain facts intending to believe what you want to believe. I think that's called the human condition and it's happened forever since we were in caves. And uh, no, I don't. Um, there are a lot of things out there that aren't mass psychogenic illness. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think it comes down to, I blame a lot of what's going on on the internet because all of a sudden now you got this massive information technology out there and it's unvetted and people can claim just about anything and you get followers and you know you have to be responsible i think the evidence is overwhelming that the covid shot is uh, astrazeneca one anyway in new zealand is safe and effective although you could die from it uh, nothing is totally safe and effective i could choke to death on a cheese sandwich tonight hopefully i'm not uh, but um the other thing i i want to mention and that is during uh, a last couple of segments, you've injected a fair amount of humor. And I think, you know, it, uh, I try never to take myself too seriously. I focus on facts. But I think if you're dealing with this material, you have to have a sense of humor and uh, not get too worked up over it. And I've seen that with some, I have communicated and corresponded with several targeted individuals in the United States um, and Canada. And I don't really much anymore, but I mean, the ones that I talk to seem very reasonable and uh, I'm open-minded, but I do think um, it's certainly unusual to have these reports of this happening. And I, I do think it's important to get your health checked out. Uh, Carol Ann, Carol Ann Stacy asks, were the witch hunts mass hysteria? Well, yes and no. The witch hunts per se were a social panic, the belief that there's these witches and demons. However, the absolute belief in witches and demons resulted in clusters of people who believed it um, having outbreaks of mass psychogenic illness, uh, demonic possession, which is found in all cultures all across the world. And what happens is, Look, if you've ever seen a case, someone who's in a demonic trance or something like that, um, it looks absolutely real. It's frightening. It's stunning. But what you have to realize is 
Um, that same person, if they're in a different cultural background, for example, in parts of Sri Lanka or India, who work themselves into trances during certain rituals, um, and they want to become a monkey, the monkey god, or um, they want to become a tiger, they will actually, when they go into the trance, go running around like a monkey and then try to climb up a tree or go around on all fours growling like uh, a, a tiger or something like that. And people get this misunderstood. There's two types of mass psychogenic illness for the most part. There's those in schools and factories, which are by far the most common. They happen in Western countries and they happen as a result of extreme environmental concerns. It's almost always triggered by exposure to a unusual or strange odor. They have rapid onset and uh, ending. They usually end within 24 hours and it's over. The victims recover very quickly. The kind like Salem in 1691, 1692 are less common and they tend to happen in non-Western countries where you get an absolute belief in demons and witches. And what happens is, the, uh, like in Malaysia, uh, a young girl will suddenly fall down in the classroom and start twitching, shaking, go into altered states of consciousness, see ghosts and demons. The nerves and neurons that are sending messages to the brain get garbled under long-term stress. And that's what you see in these outbreaks. They happen in Malaysia, in the most strictest Islamic schools. And they happen in Malawi and Africa in the most strictest Christian schools. It's the same pressure, long-term, unrelenting pressure, all work and no play. You, you're in a boarding school situation. You can't go home at night. And just after a while, it builds and builds. And then one person goes twitching and shaking, and it triggers a number of people in the same group. And before you know it, within three days, you got 24 students twitching and shaking, believing they're possessed by demons. And they'll often bring in a witch doctor, which can work. But the problem is, if you believe it and you reduce the stress and you send the girls home and you spread everybody out. However, the problem is, if you bring in a witch doctor and they say, OK, the demon's gone now and you get a flare up, then that's bad because then that reinforces the belief that there's demons there and it just it can lead cases going on for months, if not years. And there have been cases like that. Uh, Mike Logue asks, can mass hysteria be intentionally reversed by the power of suggestion? Um, yes, it can, like Havana syndrome. I believe if the diplomats fully understood what had happened, that um, the anomalies that have, because this, the type of mass psychogenic illness that's happened in Cuba is not like the anxiety hysteria that happens overnight, exposure to a sudden smell. It was building up over months and months. And then um, there was the report that they sprayed for the Zika virus. And so now they're worried about the Zika virus. And then they're worried about the spray of the Zika virus, right? And then you've got the concern that they're under attack by a sonic weapon and the rumor spreading. And then the note that they're under 24-hour surveillance 
All of these stresses were the perfect storm and came together, resulting in these, um, these more serious symptoms, neurological symptoms. You rarely see the neurological symptoms in short-term cases with smells. It's always the long-term cases, which exactly is what happened in Cuba. <coughs> All right. Um, can you apply, can we apply the um, mass hysteria or social panic to the modern day UFO phenomenon? Well, I did a master's thesis on that at uh, the Flinders University of South Australia. Um, yes, uh, very much so. Um, but well, it's more of a social panic. Um, it used to be thought in the 40s and 50s, oh, it's, it's mass hysteria. People are seeing flying saucers. No. What happens with the flying saucers, first of all, you have to admit that uh, as someone who's written a book on the history of, of UFOs and UFO sighting waves, um, I readily admit that there is a small, well under 1% of cases that I can't fully explain because there's a lack of data. And I'm not gonna claim I know. But for the cases that you have the data and can look at them closely, they tend to disintegrate quite easily. And so look, there are, people ask me all the time, are there UFOs? Of course there's UFOs. There's objects in the sky people, people can't identify. Technically a UFO. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Um, but when people say UFO, that's what people are often implying, isn't it? Oh, that you've seen a, an extraterrestrial spacecraft. And people have to be careful because to become part of one of the greatest mysteries in the history of mankind, the UFO phenomena, all I have to do on a clear night is go out into my backyard, turn out all my lights and look into the sky and maybe eventually I will see an object in the sky I can't identify. And I'm part of one of the greatest mysteries in the history of humanity. Um, but most sightings are lights in the night, right? And when you look at these UFO sighting waves that I looked at at my master's thesis, they're almost always triggered historically by the same, same pattern. You get an initial sensational case that would be reported in the press. And then it causes people to scrutinize their environment and search or evidence of some type of otherworldly craft out there, assuming this, now the skies have to be pretty clear at this point. And then people also redefine the past week or two of things that they've seen. So I believe that um, then that triggers these, these waves of sightings. And I think you get these flaps because you get people redefining ambiguous, almost exclusively nocturnal, aerial stimuli reflective of the expectation, ex reflective of the zeitgeist, the social barometer of the times. People see what they expect to see. Um, the same thing with Bigfoot, the same thing with uh, chupacabras. What about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case? Well, I think that's pretty clear what happened there. Um, I think they're sincere, honest people. They reported time loss, but they went under regressive hypnosis. And I believe that even Dr. What was it? Benjamin Simon, who yes. regressed them. 
Yes. Wasn't um, convinced that that happened. Um, that didn't happen that far from where we live in upstate New York, really. Uh, Indian had New Hampshire. Right. Um, look, I believe they're honest, sincere people, but I need more evidence than that. And the problem is regressive hypnosis. I remember going to a, a UFO conference many, many, many years ago. Um, and I think it was um, Bud Hopkins was there. And I asked him, I said, well, what about regressive hypnosis? I mean, what are you concerned about that? And he wasn't particularly concerned with it, but you know, it's a, it's, it's an issue. It's certainly an issue because people are very suggestible in that state. If you believe that you've had uh, an encounter, but I certainly believe that most people are not hoaxing. They are honest, sincere people. They are credible people reporting incredible experiences. They're ordinary people reporting extraordinary experiences. And I, I say to the UFO researchers out there, go for it, research, and um, try to document a really good case and then publish it in the scientific journal. Now, I'm not a psychologist and I, I don't wanna play a psychologist on the radio, but I'm wondering in some of these cases, uh, and I've had a, a guest on discussing this, Randall Montgomery, in fact, wrote a book about the alien abduction phenomenon. And and um, the suggestion was that perhaps the alleged victim of an abduction, uh, some psychological defense mechanism kicks in to create this narrative of an abduction, which is covering over something perhaps even far more sinister, like sexual abuse. Does that make sense? You know, it does. Um, there have been a number of psychologists that have uh, suggested that as an explanation, and it's been noted, definitely noted in the literature by a number of researchers well before these uh, reports came out. But there's another phenomena out there that I published on in 1991 with the chairman of the psychology department at the University of Notre Dame. And we looked at the case histories of a large number of abductees uh, and contactees. And a lot of people don't give too much credence to the contactees. They give more credence to the abductees because the contactees tend to be more, you know, um, repetitive. But um, there were very similar characteristics to the fantasy-prone personality. And I really believe that uh, a number of victims um, are suffering from a fantasy-prone personality. When I say suffering, it's almost like a gift. And when I came up with that hypothesis with Keith Basterfield of uh, UFO South Australia, and we published it in the, um, the UFO reporter there published by Jalen Hynek in the late 80s, Bud Hopkins came out and said that he believed that for the uh, Whitley Strieber case, that we had accurately assessed his case, that he believed that Whitley Strieber was fantasy prone personality. He wrote that right in the journal. Wow. All right. We'll take another time out. Robert, stay with us. Back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740.
Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Robert Bartholomew stays with us. And uh, his books include Havana Syndrome, The Martians Have Landed, A History of Media-Driven Panics and Hoaxes, American Hauntings, The True Stories Behind Hollywood's Scariest Movies. Uh, I want to ask you about some bizarre behavior. This, uh, this young ba- man who believed he was a cat and exhibited feline behavior. Tell me about him. Well, that's one of the most bizarre cases I have ever seen. And... The thing is, it was in uh, a really respected medical journal, and it was very well documented. One of the um, people who investigated was uh, affiliated, I think, with the uh, Harvard uh, Hospital. And uh, so anyway, um, he wasn't normal. So as a but he presented as normal. And that's so unusual. And he was even a graduate student. And so. What had happened was his parents at a young age um, would punish him by having him chained to a tree outside. And there was a bit of a chain, almost like a like a pet. And so he was out there quite a bit. And so in in that situation, he became very, um, very close to the cat. And um, when I say very close to a cat, he was like having sexual relations with a cat. So it was. Oh, um, dear. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing there, the man who who mistook his wife for a hat. Well, this is the man who uh, thought he was a cat. And uh, it's just a very. bizarre case. And when I saw it, I just said, I've never seen uh, any, anything like it before. It was, I'm just trying to think now, that would have been 1990. And it would have been the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. And so one day this kid, he's 17 years old, shows up at his psychiatrist's office seeking help for depression. And during the session, he just made a passing remark. He presented as pretty much normal. He made a passing remark that uh, ever since he was a young boy, he'd led a secret life as a cat. And and that he was able to keep that secret from his friends and relatives. And it's just this amazing case. So he started to delve in deeper. And he said that, what was it, at the age of 11, because he kept being out there by the tree and with the cat all the time. He said he fell in love with his pet cat, Tiffany. And then he eventually learned to speak cat. Um, And, but that was the problem. He grew up, um, he was very angry. He was tied to the tree a lot. And so he didn't really identify with his real parents. And can we guess who he identified with? He identified with Tiffany, the cat, as kind of like a surrogate uh, parent. And so um, 
Now, I've, I've found the report here, and I'm just going to read a small quotation, because if I don't read the quotation, you'll think I'm making it up. All right. Quote, when alone, he began to regularly hunt with cats to eat small prey and raw meat, to have sexual activity with cats in serial monogamous relationships, and to converse with them by meowing and feline gestures. Um, he reports that the activities have been continuous and are not confined to episodes of depression. Now, the other bizarre thing about this, he would go to the zoo a lot, and then he would hang out by the tiger cage and profess to speak tiger language with this tiger that was, was in the cage. Um, yeah. So then he would collect the tiger hair and bring it home and stuff like that. And um, it was really, really bizarre. And then the tiger's name was Dowley. Uh, and things are going okay, but then everything collapsed for this guy when they transferred Dowley to another zoo and he couldn't hang out with the, with the, with the tiger. And um, yeah, so it was a real problem. So then he started to like tune out of reality. He would... Um, he would do things like wear tiger stripe clothing, um, wouldn't cut his nails so they were longer than normal, um, have long, blushy hair and a beard, um, trying to promote a cat-like appearance. Um, yeah, so that's really weird. Does it have a happy ending? I mean, what, did he receive uh, psychological help? Did he get therapy? Did it, did it uh, resolve itself? He was in therapy, but we don't know the outcome. And uh, we certainly don't know who he was, although you know, his neighbors probably do. And uh, his parents probably do as well. So, um, yeah, it's just just you can't make that up. I mean, it's, uh, you, could, you couldn't make a script up. Some guy having relationships with, with cats in his backyard. Now, this isn't really related, although it is kind of an unusual uh, I guess dysmorphia, and that is people that have perfectly healthy limbs, but they feel as if they should be amputated in order to feel fully whole. Is this something you've delved into? Look, not really, but it, it's similar, I think, to phantom limb syndrome. And um, I see it as a, yeah, they actually feel that it's there and they want to feel whole. There was one guy, I'm trying to remember which country he was in, and um, he actually, uh, he wanted the doctors to cut his leg off and they refused. And then one day they, uh, the ambulance were rushed to uh, his room uh, in his apartment and he had cut part of his leg off and um, they rushed him to the hospital, saved his life. And he lost his leg, which is what he wanted all along. Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. You know, if, look, if somebody wants both their arms cut off, would you do it? Uh, I probably don't think I would. And uh, but, yeah, I mean, they feel like they really want it off. And it's it's an impediment to their life. Well, well, the first, you know, the first, I guess, protocol for doctors is, first of all, do no harm. So. 
I would say that cutting a healthy limb off uh, would would be doing harm. Um, how much of these behaviors, dysmorphias, uh, can be attributed to modern living? You talked about the impact of social media. Um, how about just you know living in the in the electronic age, the digital age? Is that making us less mentally healthy? Well, I don't think it's doing us any favors, but it's all, it's like anything, it's how you use it. And it's often used for a negative. I mean, there are reports of outbreaks of uh, psychogenic ticks in a number of places around the world since the outbreak of COVID. And um, you can clearly see psychogenic ticks when you do a, a, a scan. Um, and people are reporting these and uh, I think it's the stress of lockdown. It's long-term stress. It's persistent stress. And, you know, there's all kinds of um, situations out there when you're in a situation like that. I'll tell you, throughout the history of the world, people exposed to long-term prolonged stress um, has been responsible for a lot of different outbreaks of mass psychogenic illness. And some of the more bizarre ones, um, not the ones where you smell a smell and it's over within 24 hours, but um, the ones where there's t twitching and shaking and altered states of consciousness. And it's becoming more common. And it's becoming more common by, um, well, for example, in the Leroy case in 2011, the neurologist noted that in interviewing some of the girls, they were imitating what they were seeing on YouTube and social media in general. And so if social media allows us now to go away from the group, or nearly in the past, you had to be in the group to get it triggered, go away from the group and just immerse yourself in watching a video that can potentially trigger something if you believe that you're going to have that. And also the, the actual belief itself. Um, I think the Internet's been responsible for a lot of ills in, in the past couple of decades, and uh, it needs to be better monitored. 100%. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, hauntings and uh, get your take on that. Uh, Robert Bartholomew stays with us, medical sociologist uh, who studies topics on the margins of science. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Dr. Robert Sullo, uh, Bartholomew stays with us. Uh, his books include Exotic Deviants, Hoaxes, Myths, and Manias, Little Green Men, Meowing Nuns, and Headhunting Panics, A Study of Mass Psychogenic Illnesses and Social Delusions, UFOs and Alien Contact, Two Centuries of Mystery, Mass Hysteria in Schools, and uh, his latest is Havana Syndrome. Uh, also, American Hauntings, the true story behind Hollywood's scariest movies. Um, let's talk about The Exorcist, uh, supposedly based on a true story. And um, 
a boy communicated via you know bloody scratches on his body at one point the scrawled message read no school um what what can you tell us about maybe some little known facts about uh the exorcist robert damn that was my one liner i was already for and you <laughs> to it. Um, i love that uh when he's he's got well it looks like you're gonna have to go back to school and then about 20 minutes later, he rips open his shirt and <laughs> uh, on his chest, he's got no school. Um, I think it's a combination of play acting and being in a real trance like state, you know, I think, which is common. You know, it's common with what happened in Salem. Clearly, some of those girls in Salem were experiencing uh, mass psychogenic illness. I mean, it, it's classic what was going on. But here's the thing. People say to me things like, and not to get off the exorcist, so th- say things like, oh, but the people in Salem, they were suffering from ergot poisoning. No, they weren't. Because in ergot poisoning, you can't go from being possessed by a demon to being stone cold normal. Because, you know, people were jumping out of windows. They were, uh, they were insane, basically. I mean, they were hallucinating for weeks. Um, they were just literally crazy. Um, if you look at uh, some of the uh, descriptions of a um, ergot poisoning outbreak in France in the 1950s. So um, so you go back to the exorcist and um, it's, you know, when I looked at the exorcist, when I looked at the haunting in Connecticut, um, the, um, the conjuring and the Amityville horror, looked at all of these. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be cool. This is going to be fun. Because we're looking at this and we're just looking at the evidence. And one by one, the cases just uh, fell apart. I mean, in terms of uh, proof that these people, people do get, appear to be possessed by demons. That's happened since time immemorial. There are well-documented cases throughout history and not just one case, um, Entire groups of people in towns during the Middle Ages. It was very common. It's very common in medieval nunneries. It just so happened to be the strictest nunneries, right? And under that strict backdrop, and this kid had serious issues. You know, he um, um, he had a lot of tension in his life. It was building up, building up, and that's when you get these outbreaks of demonic-like possession, you get the twitching, you get the shaking, you get the altered states of consciousness. And look, you can come in and out of consciousness. You can at one point be totally uh, unconscious or you can be totally conscious. And uh, so it would just, it would, it would ebb and flow, go back and forth, it went on and on and on. But for actual proof that um, this guy was possessed by a demon or you know, his, his head was twisting around or anything like that. I mean, it's just just not there. It is a case of demonic possession, which happens all over the world. It's um, more common than many people think. And there are people that go out and are have exorcist groups. And they have meetings and they take people that go into these trans-like states and they try to rid them of the devil by speaking prayers over them and sprinkling holy water on them and yelling for the devil to be cast out. And interestingly enough, it seems to work in some cases. However, you're often dealing with people who have serious uh, psychiatric issues. And 
I would suggest that anyone, before they approach a, a demonologist and an exorcist, go and see a psychiatrist first, because um, there have been cases where it has turned tragically wrong. I uh, I spoke with a board, a New York uh, State Board certified psych- psychiatrist, Dr. Richard Gallagher, uh, who wrote an article. Uh, it was published in a, a Catholic uh, publication. It was called An Authentic Case of Demonic Possession. And, and he examined, um, did a psychological or a psychiatric examination of uh, a young woman. Uh, and ultimately, he concluded that it, it was likely a an authentic case. Now, you could say, well, <laughs> that's one person's opinion. Uh, he told me things about an, this, an encounter with this woman. That she knew things about him she couldn't possibly have known. Uh, she spoke and suddenly would speak in, in, in a foreign tongue that apparently she had no knowledge of. Um, what do you say to that? Well, the glossolalia, speaking in tongues, is very common. It's very common in modern-day Christianity. I mean, in Toronto, you've had that Toronto Blessing Group not sure if you're familiar with that. Yes, yes. Um, and then they kind of mimic back what is being done there. I mean, they're famous for laughing, right? Um, but, I mean, you get people uh, making different animal noises as as well. And um, I just think um, the most plausible explanation is the, the scientific explanation here unless you can come up with something really concrete. Now, it may not fall within any of the parameters of known conditions, but there are unusual conditions out there. We haven't fully understood every condition, and it might be a variation of a condition. And so just because it doesn't fall in with a particular uh, syndrome that we know of today doesn't mean it's psychological. And in fact, I tend to err on the side of of science before I'm going to believe that uh, there is a devil who has possessed someone. All right. Another and time. Look, the, the other thing. Okay, Robert, just hold on to that thought and we'll uh, pick that up on the other side. Robert Bartholomew stays with us a few minutes yet. Last call to the phones. If you've got a question in the YouTube chat, uh, Ryan will serve that up for me and I'll read it on the air. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show just after these. Zoomer Radio. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. And we are back with Robert Bartholomew. Right now we're talking about uh, ghosts and hauntings, and uh, you you have a particular interest in ghosts. I mean, you believe people are experiencing, uh, witnessing something. Do you have any thoughts as to what There's no question there are ghosts. People ask me, do you believe in ghosts? Yeah, there are ghosts, just like there are UFOs. The question is, what are the ghosts? Is it something from the human mind, or is it some type of physical um, afterlife? And we have to be careful, because as Carl Sagan said, wherever we have strong emotions, we're liable to fool ourselves. Um, I've often asked basic questions like, okay, logically looking at it, 
Okay, I, I, def, I definitely want to believe in ghosts. However, I think to myself, okay, well, if ghosts are real, how come they're seen with clothing? Like, how come a ghost has clothes? Why is that? Why isn't it just like the spirit or something like that? Um, and look, my brother, Paul Bartholomew, is a well-known Bigfoot researcher and author in upstate New York. And, um, you know, we have debates on this all the time. Um, you know, I'm the sympathetic skeptic. I need to see the dead alien or the dead Bigfoot in front of me. And he's like, well, maybe I'll say, Paul, well, how can you explain Bigfoot? They don't find the body. Well, maybe they eat their dead. I'm like, yeah, maybe they do, but I'm not buying it. Um, so with ghosts, <laughs> he I did not believe. say maybe they eat their dead. <laughs> you mean maybe they bury I have their to dead? Say he did. He said, <laughs> no, he said maybe they eat their dead. Okay. And I'm like, right. okay. Because I was saying, <clears throat> I almost made it through the interview without too much coughing there. I'm almost there. Um, I said, well, where's the body? I want to believe as much as the next person. Where's the body? Where's the fossils? Where are the bones? Where's the DNA evidence? And I wrote two Bigfoot books with my brother, and I'm the sympathetic skeptic, and he's the, the believer. Right. And we both have a healthy respect of each other. You know, it's not like he drives around with a, ch- a truck with a giant foot on the side of it or something like that. I mean, it's very normal. But um, I just think uh, I, I need the evidence. People used to see fairies all the time, but uh, science didn't accept the existence of fairies. Right. When we're talking about metaphysical things or spirit, how do you, I mean, how do you come up with physical evidence for something that isn't physical? Well, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I need to see some type of concrete evidence though, that, that it's there. And for example, and not to change the subject, if 15 different people, they have recordings of people getting sick and every single one of them were sounds of insects. I'm going with the insect hypothesis, right? right. I mean, you've right. got to go where the evidence leads. Absolutely. Right. Yes. You have to look for the prosaic explanation. All right. Um, you mentioned Bigfoot, your brother's hunting Bigfoot up in upstate New York. Has he, uh, has he had a sighting? No. Uh, he's very normal. He's, we've been studying this since we were like eight years old and there was a massive flap of Bigfoot sightings near our farm, uh, on Lake Champlain, near Lake Champlain. And ever since we started collecting cases and we collected a bunch of cases and published it in a book called monsters of the North woods, which is no longer in print. And they sold over 10,000 copies. Um, and People still have sightings of Bigfoot. And I have a hunch. There is a a scientist in Australia who has suggested that we know now that um, a small percentage of most humans, if you're born um, out of sub-Saharan Africa, that we have a small percentage of Neanderthal DNA. There's only one way that could happen is human beings uh, mated with Neanderthal. Right. 100% accepted within the scientific community. Sure, sure. Well, what if those matings in that overlap time period 
We're not consensual. So you've got this great fear driven among the human community, particularly at night and particularly, you know, in the woods and things like this, where um, you're fearing these creatures. What are these creatures? Neanderthal looks similar to Bigfoot, quite honestly. And um, maybe there's, which I don't fully understand, but maybe there's some kind of human defense mechanism here to um, make us hypervigilant, particularly at night, where it triggers off seeing what you think is a large, hairy, uh, bipedal creature. And that would help to explain why people all over the world in almost every country see large, hairy creatures almost every year. The people are honest and sincere, most of them, yet there's never, ever any physical proof. And I'm just, just thinking out loud, maybe it's some unusual explanation like that. I can buy that Bigfoot's there, but then what about the, people say, what about the footprints? You know, what about the footprints? And well, those could be hoaxed. And then they say, well, what about five miles in on the side of this mountain? Well, yeah, but that could have been hoaxed too. Um, so I'm, I'm, I want to believe if you bring in the, the Bigfoot and the other problem is the photos, right? I mean, now everyone in the world practically has a camera and you're walking everywhere. Where's the photo? Yes, there are some photos online, um, but they're either really blurry or too good, if you know what I mean. Right, right. Well, the comedian Mitch Hedberg suggested that maybe Bigfoot is fuzzy. <laughs> Not only furry, but he was yeah. just born fuzzy. That's why the pictures are fuzzy. You mentioned uh, Lake Champlain. Well, the, we have to talk the, the about other, Lake. Yep. Sorry. The go other ahead. thing is. Yeah. Yep. The other thing is, I mean, how come Bigfoot is almost always seen as a male creature? How come you don't get a lot of reports of people seeing, you know, a mother Bigfoot jiggling off into the distance or something, or uh, baby Bigfoot. Yeah, you get once in a great, great while. Well, the Patterson baby film, Bigfoot sighting. the famous Patterson film is supposedly a female because it's got the, the you know, the pendulous breasts. That's supposedly a female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I need more than that. I just, it's like, where is it going? Um, if it's a flesh and blood creature, I can't see that it's there. I mean, the only way I can see it's there, besides this theory about some kind of projection phenomena, is if there's some kind of alternate universe where the creature comes into our universe and back out, and there's just no science for it. All I know is people claim to see it. Um, most of the people are pretty sincere, but there's never any absolute physical proof. Then it's certainly very uh, frustrating. Absolutely it is. Just very quickly, we just have a few minutes here, but I want to talk about, because you mentioned Lake Champlain, uh, which, uh, of course, the legendary lake monster there, Champy, we've got up here, we've got one in uh, Lake uh, Lake Erie, I think it's Bessie, um, you know, there's Nessie in Loch Ness, there's uh, the Ogopogo in the Okanagan, Lake Okanagan in British Columbia. Is it possible that these are some previously, you know, unknown species or, or a leftover from prehistoric times? What do you think? Uh, what is Champy, do you think? Well, I'd like to believe that it is. But if it is, there would have to be a community of them of a roughly 35 creatures. That's according to people from the Smithsonian. So you got to have a living, breathing community. The most likely explanations um, are 
that it's a zoigiliodon, a form of primitive whale. The other explanation, and that was by Roy Mackle at the University of Chicago. He proposed that based on the sighting descriptions. Then the other uh, hypothesis is that it's a plesiosaur. Right. Um, here's the problem. These creatures need to come up for air. And every so often, the lake freezes over entirely, although with global warming, it's not quite as bad as it has been. Um, how are these creatures surviving? The other thing that I've noted is when you plot out the sightings, they go in bursts. And I think what's happening there is you get initial sensational case. Now, people are scrutinizing the lake for other cases where ordinarily you wouldn't be paying attention. And they're more prone to reporting something that's out there. There's all kinds of things that could be uh, mistaken for. Um, so, I mean, here in New Zealand, we have the Waikato River. In the 1890s, people were seeing giant crocodiles in the Waikato. They don't anymore. What I think was happening is, if you go back and look at the reports, they're seeing seals back-to-back -back coming in from the ocean. But, um, you know, human beings are very susceptible and open to making mistakes. I mean, all you got to do is watch a football game and... Referees are trained observers. They practice all the time. They have excellent eyesight, yet they constantly make mistakes and they got to go back to the video. And so is yeah, Champia a sturgeon? Very is, it a stu is champion Champia sturgeon, a large eel? Oh, look, it's a combination of things. Um, the number one candidate is a sturgeon. I mean, a sturgeon is long. It looks like a, a prehistoric creature. And uh, if you've ever seen a sturgeon oh, yes. uh, in the water, I mean, they can be scary. Absolutely. Listen, uh, Robert, we, we are out of time, sadly, but I want to thank you for hanging out for two hours all the way in New, New, uh, New Zealand. And I uh, appreciate I know you're not feeling 100%, but you acquitted yourself uh, wonderfully. And thank you so much for this. Uh, look, thank you very much for being on your show and um, take care. All right, Dr. Robert Bartholomew, check out Havana Syndrome. Controversial, but intriguing. All right, that's it for me back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.